Hey team, just a quick heads up, this episode talks about uh, substance abuse and addiction, so if that's going to uh, trigger you, probably best to switch off now, but uh, there's a happy ending to this and it's quite an inspiring story, so if you can uh, stick with us, I think you'll enjoy it. Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices that we take for granted are out of date, illogical, or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room, and I'm here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a couple of F-bombs thrown in for good measure. Pilates Elephants is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher who really fucking knows your stuff. Hey, Pilates Elephants listeners. Welcome to another episode. I'm here with Rebecca Solberg. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you here. So, um... We're going to talk about your story, and the, really it's an inspiring story of how movement, and particularly Pilates, helped you overcome addiction. Um, so yeah, before, before we, we get into that, uh, who are you, and how would you like to introduce yourself? Um, my name is Rebecca Solberg. I live in Seattle, Washington. I've been a Pilates instructor for eight years. Um, it's my passion. I do it because the people I work with, the clients, um, they're everything to me. The relationships that I build, um, it's just all about just the camaraderie and the, the togetherness of people and bringing people together through movement. And um, I'm a dog mom. I have two English bulldogs. I'm married to a great husband and um, I'm in the clinical de- de- uh, the diploma for clinical Pilates through through Breathe, which has been only one module in, and it's life changing. So, um, this has just been a wonderful journey so far. So, I'm really looking forward to the next year. And uh, yeah, and you reached out to to uh, suggest that we talk about your journey, and um, yeah, sounds like an amazing story and I'm looking forward to, to this conversation. So, uh, so yeah, where would you like to start? Well, I, I think the, the first thing is just, you know, I'm 44 years old. I started substance abuse when I was probably 13, just with just little drugs here and there. And then just moving up from there, make a long story short. Um, I was involved in a relationship who was using heroin and three months into it of him using, I just was like, okay. So I tried it and became addicted. Um, I was addicted for two years. I was out on the streets, um, living in my car. Um, and and how old were you at this point? I was a- around um, 19, 20. And uh, it, it was a... Um, time of my life because I was extremely insecure. 
Um, drugs was a way for me to escape. You know, I wasn't, I didn't feel kind of good in my own skin. I uh, needed to get away. You know, I was in a divorced family. Um, I have an amazing extended family who have, who were wonderful growing up. Um, you know, they, they had both their parents, they had money we struggled. I struggled growing up in my family with my mom. My mom was a single mom. My dad wasn't really there. So I think all of these different things just pushed me to kind of forget it. I wanted to escape and mm-hmm. and just get away from all the anxiety and fears and insecurities in my life. So I turned to drugs. And... um. I was doing it for about two years, and then the boyfriend I was with at the time, he was a drug dealer. Um, We were living in an apartment. He was selling drugs, and one day we're in the apartment, and SWAT team came in, like threw me up on the grit, you know, threw me up, threw me on the bed, threw him on the bed, and um, arrested us. So that was my bottom. Some people have to go to jail to get a bottom. Some people, they always say you have to reach a rock bottom before you're ready to actually fully get clean or to make a change. Well, that was my bottom. Thankfully, I didn't have to go and, you know, spend jail time. I went in there for probably like 12 hours in the holding cell. Um, It was an extremely difficult time. It was extremely scary. It was really tough. Um, My mom came and got me. I was about 22, maybe 21. Um, Ages are just a little fuzzy for me. So we I go to jail. I'm in the holding cell. I get bailed out from my mom. And um, that was when I changed, like my journey changed. I was committed to to staying off these drugs. Like I I at the time I got on methadone. I don't know if you've heard of that. Have you ever heard of methadone? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a basically a substitute for heroin. It is. And that's another subject. So a lot of people, there's a stigma with with replacing one drug with another. Um, and I understand that. I get that. But methadone saved my life. There's a when you're when you are addicted to drugs and you have to stop, right? Not let's not even talk about the the pain that's involved with getting off the drugs. It is the most it's the most terrible feeling you could go through. You're sick. You can't think straight. You feel like you're crawling up the walls. You're sweating all the time. You know, you, it's like you have the flu a million times over. Um, so, and then once you get past that initial withdrawal, everything is dim, dream, like glum, nothing pleasures you. You go outside, you look outside and you think all this, you know, beautiful sunshine and you th- you want to be outside on the with the earth and the plants and the refreshing air. Nothing pleases you. Everything is completely just lost. You have no joy in life. You have nothing to look forward to. You f- you think when you get to that point you're just like what do I do now? Like all you think about is just getting high again. So what the methadone did for me, if people obviously will abuse it and some people don't, I didn't. I used it to get my life back together. I got on it. I used a safe amount um, of milligrams. I didn't go over what I should do. I got a job. I worked at a 
you know, in banking for many years. I built up my career in banking and did what I needed to do to get clean. And um, so, so just does, does methadone? Because you know, I've I've uh, already shared with you everything I know about methadone, which is that it's a replacement for <laughs> for for opioids. But so, is it basically does it sort of fulfill the cravings, but it doesn't get you high? Is that is that so, what it does? Exactly. So basically, some that's the big problem is it can get you high. People will say it's not working, it's not working, and they request to get their dose even higher, their milligrams to be higher. So some, for example, some people would be on like 175 milligrams of methadone. My, the highest I ever went was like 60. And I just did it to a point where I would take it. It would make me feel like I could, I would be, have some sort of joy in like getting up and doing and getting started and having motivation and feeling like there's a quality of my life of going out and doing stuff and getting stuff done. Whereas all you think about otherwise is just that next high. Right. And, and and so then do you sort of just gradually reduce the dose over time, do you? Yes. Yes. So a lot of people are on it the rest of their lives. I wasn't. I was on it for a long time. I was on it for nine years. And wow. yeah. Um, and the reason why I got on, got off of it was um, many years later, the the, the guy – that I was with in the beginning, not the drug dealer, but the guy before that, the one that introduced me to the drugs, him and I got back together. We ended up getting married. He was a commercial fisherman, big drinker. I never really liked alcohol, but around 26, 27, um, he would come home from fishing for three months at a time. And we, he, he was a big drinker. That's like, they go out and work really, really hard. I don't know if you're commercial, if you're familiar with Alaska for commercial fishermen or any type of commercial fishermen, they go out and work for three months at a time, 12 hour days, sometimes 16 and work their butts off. And then they get home and they use, they spend their money, they drink, they party, they have fun. And so I started drinking and I just, I remember the day where it's, it, because I never liked the taste of alcohol. So I remember we would go to his mother's house and they would drink all the time. It was a big drinking family. And I we went to Safeway or something. It's a grocery store in the States. And I was trying to figure out like, what do I want to drink that I'm going to be able to enjoy myself? I don't like beer. I don't like hard liquor. So I found like a Riesling. And from that point on, I was I was like, this is amazing. So I would start off with like a half a glass of wine and then it would be maybe like once a week. Then it turned into twice a week and then it turned into three times a week. He would expect me to go and stop and start up when he came in, when he came home because you can't drink when you're fishing. So I, of course, I would continue to drink while he was gone. I got physically addicted to it, really addicted. I mean, it came to the point where I was drinking three bottles of wine a night and passing out. Wow. I mean, I'm 5'3", not even 5'3". Um, and it was it was a very, very difficult time. This was, you know, years of going of going through this. I went to treat treatment. I was in 2010, I went into treatment. And the only way I could get into treatment was if I got off the methadone. So I, I apologize, let's rewind. So before that, I wanted to go into treatment because I was addicted. I needed to be in a detox situation to detox off the alcohol because as mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but alcohol detox, you can't just stop cold turkey, you could die. If you're physically addicted, mm -hmm. that's the number one thing that kills you. I mean, you can't die from her um, heroin withdrawal 
uh, cocaine withdrawal. I mean, you can't, none of that kind of stuff, but alcohol, you can die from. You can't just be, you can't be somebody who drinks every day a lot and quit cold turkey. You just can't, it'll kill you. So I had to get on Suboxone, which was another form of an opioid. I had to get off the methadone, get on Suboxone, and then um, detox off of that. Well, I didn't realize I was supposed to detox before going into a treatment facility for 21 days. So I go into the detox system to detox off of alcohol. And at this point, so usually it's like three or five days in detox, and then you go into treatment. Well, I was on suboxone and they said, you can't come into treatment being on suboxone. You can't be on any type of opioid drug like that. So they had to detox me off of that. And that was um, the worst probably two months, three months of my life. In treatment, I literally probably slept a total of two hours. You are, you don't sleep. You are sweating. You can't, you, nothing Nothing helps. They would give me trazodone, which is an like an, a non-narcotic sleeping pill, which basically gives you like restless leg syndrome. I mean, it is the worst, Raph. I don't know if you've ever heard of trazodone, but it was it's awful. And you just nothing nothing works. You just can't you can't sleep. You can't enjoy people going th- and you, and of course you're sitting eight hours a day going through treatment in these little uncomfortable like office chairs, can't get comfortable, you're sweating, you're irritable. It was just, it was the worst time of my life. I, re- I, I don't wish that upon anybody, but it did get me off of it, right? Once once when I um, I had a concussion at one time decades ago and uh, they gave me this drug, I can't remember what it was, but uh, it gave me this thing called akesthesia, which is basically I was completely unable to sleep or even sit still or lie still. I was in bed or for, you know, and I was just felt extremely uncomfortable, irritable, couldn't think, couldn't concentrate. It's like nothing would satisfy me. And I didn't want to do anything, including lie there doing nothing. Like there was, I just couldn't be comfortable in my skin. I was uncomfortable in my skin. So I imagine it's a little bit like, like what you experienced, but just on a smaller scale. Yes. That's the perfect experience explanation. You nothing gives you pleasure. Pleasure. Getting up is painful. Sitting down is painful. Sitting there is painful. N- you can't watch a show and make time go by cuz TV is painful. Like it's just right. everything. Nothing is nothing gives you joy. And and then on top of that at the time getting off alcohol as well. So I was in there for 21 days, okay? And then I it, I'm so grateful I, I would do it all over again because I'm not on any type of opioid and I haven't been since 2010. So um, that was the most, I'm so grateful for that. But it, it, it was a hard time of my life. And then especially my, my husband at the time, the, the fisherman didn't get it. Like he, he didn't understand. He didn't understand how I could be addicted to alcohol. He didn't get it. He didn't understand how, why I couldn't just talk, like uh, stop like him. Right. And mm-hmm. even though he was addicted to heroin and got me into the heroin, it he just didn't get the alcohol side of it. And his mom would give us alcohol mm-hmm. for like at, on our anniversary after I got clean, she gave us champagne for our anniversary. And I'm sober off alcohol. Wow. I mean, it was just a really bad thing, bad experience. Um, I mean, a bad situation for me. So obviously, I'm not in that marriage anymore. But um, so it, it, um, so it went from one drug to another 
to an, you know, mm. it, we're always searching. So, so is it, I mean, I, I know very little about addiction or the psychology of addiction or the science behind it. So, so it, I mean, to, it strikes me that you had these two major addictions like is that is there is there some is there such a thing as an addictive personality or somebody who's absolutely who's you know very more susceptible to that absolutely yes it's i mean it's a, it's it's it um it comes you know it's passed down if you have someone in your family who has addiction most likely you are more susceptible to becoming addicted to right. something so if any type of alcohol history in your family your children, whomever's in your family, it's important to talk about and to be open about it and not not talk about it and to be and to to be very clear and honest with your kids because it it can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. And um it's it's not a fun thing to deal with. <laughs> and what do you think about again, I'm just asking this from the perspective of a basically ignorant layperson, mm-hmm. you know, what do you think about the idea that, uh, you know, drug use can be like kind of self-medication for mental health? Absolutely. You know, issues? Yes. I mean, I have anxiety, I have depression and being a, a young kid who, I mean, I always had body issues when I was young. My parents were divorced. Um, I didn't have my dad that much. There was, there was you know, um, you know, he had a stepchild and another child with his other wife. And that was tough for my sister and I. And my mom was a single mom working her butt off, trying to do what she could do to just survive. Thank goodness for my grandparents and my mom's siblings. I'm, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I don't want to cry, but without the support of my family. And, um, it's, you wonder why some people, why the, the, the statistics are so low of being able to, to overcome addiction. And it's, I think the number one thing first is you have to want it. And the number two thing is you have to have a support group. If you don't have anybody that's going to root for you and uh, believe in you, then why, like, why would you want to? I, I mean, I totally get it. Like if you have nobody that cares, then what's the point? Um, but yes, I have I have anxiety, I have depression, and I'm on medication for it. Um, and I'm grateful, and and I'm not, and I'm proud of it. It's you know, I think isn't this month Mental Awareness Month? I think Mental mm-hmm. Health Awareness. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, but I think it's it, it needs to be talked about because if we don't if we don't manage what's going up on up here in our mind and in our in our brain and and in our and just in life, we are going to do stuff to to um, medicate ourselves, to to forget about it, to to um, what's the word to compensate for these feelings of being less than or um, insecure or not being good enough or just your brain talking to you and telling you you're, you're this, you're that and believing it. And so you just want to kind of mask that and, and push it all away and push it down deep. And then it just gets worse and worse. And just self-medication is self-medicating is the worst. You have to come, you have to deal with it. It's important to talk about it, to talk to somebody. If anybody out there is feeling like maybe they drink too much, or maybe they're doing a lot of 
drugs on the side, like pot. I mean, pot's legal in a lot of the states here. I don't know about in Australia. But it, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's good for you. If you have an addictive personality and you're using a substance, a mind-altering substance, it, it's not good for you. Right. There's some people who can, some people can, who can take, who can smoke and be fine and um, have a normal life and not think about the next time they're going to do it. But people with addiction issues, they can't do that. They just can't. Right. So if it's, if it's um, consuming a lot of your conscious attention or if it's affecting other areas of your life, that's probably a, a sign that it's not under control. Yeah. 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 So, all right, so so you started out, you know, you said around 13 or so, experimenting with- Pot. With various drugs. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And so that was basically like, if I'm understanding you correctly, basically kind of uh, an attempt to self-medicate from your anxiety and yes. depression. And um, uh, eventually, you know, that sort of blossomed into a full-blown heroin addiction and later subsequently alcohol. Yeah. And so the, and what I, what I think I've understood is that those drugs, you know, temporarily kind of disconnect you from those feelings, those emotions, but in the long term, they actually just make it worse. And so you have to take more and more to oh, get yeah. the same amount yeah. of numbing. And the interesting thing too, since I started at such a young age, usually when um, you start using drugs and you, until you actually stop and that's like alcohol, drugs methadone, opiates, any type of thing. If you can, once you stop using, so I stopped using all of that stuff probably around, let's say I've been sober almost 11 years. I think it's 11, almost 11 years. So up until 11 years ago, I was kind of stuck at the age of 13. Mentally, you don't really grow from the time you start. So it, it really kind of stops your growth and you kind because you live in in the now, because all you're thinking about is the next the next hit. It's just it, I, I I don't know like the scientific reasoning behind it, but when you start somebody who starts using drugs and consistently uses it or alcohol, it just really stops your mental growth, like your maturity in a way, right? I was when I got sober, I literally felt like I was not good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't the smartest kid in school. I did terrible in school. I did not like school at all. Um, I And so I acted out and used drugs and to mask my, my difficulties with school. I just had a hard time paying attention. It was ADHD, all that kind of stuff. I was never diagnosed with that when I was younger, but I definitely had those learning disabilities. Um, and uh, so, and that's what people do is they self-medicate when, when they're not able to properly, um, deal with their mental health issue. And, and that's what I was yeah. doing. And, and, and I'm, you know, I, I guess it's probably accurate to say that mental health issues are on a spectrum and we all have some degree of anxiety or mm-hmm. depression, you know, at one time or another, and it's probably just a normal part of the human experience. Uh, but you know, for some of us, it's more pronounced and more frequent, and you know, harder to shake. And I think, you know, I, I imagine most people listening to this could identify to some degree with the sense of imposter syndrome and not being enough and being the wrong shape. Yeah. And, you know, people will find you out one time that you're just faking it, basically, and you know, all of those things. I think are, are normal 
aspects of being of, of being yeah. human, but more more you know some people feel them more keenly than others, and if you combine that with that you know and I I I don't know but I seem, seem to vaguely remember that there's some kind of genetic component to addiction. Yes. If you combine that with 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 the right genetics and and whatever, it's like that's a a perfect storm. Yep, it is genetics. My dad's side. Definitely lots of addiction in my dad's side of the family. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. All right. So there were kind of two rock bottom episodes there. One was the SWAT team. Yes. Um, my mom's going to be so embarrassed and, too that I talked about this. She's, oh, well. <laughs> um, and and the other one was uh, the the detox when you're basically double detoxing. Yes. From I can't remember the name of the drug, but the opioid that was the replacement for methadone, yep. uh, and then like straight into alcohol detox, mm-hmm. doing them both yeah. at the same time. Um, and so that was around 2010. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so, all right. So tell me, you know, let's let's start to talk about the the happy yes. part of the story. Where where does where does where does the upslope start, and how does Pilates fit into? Well, the um, before I got sober from alcohol, I started going to a Pilates studio um, by my house, and and this was before I even got really really deep into the alcoholism too much. Um, but I loved it. I loved the the community. I loved the instructors. I loved how they recognized how how much I connected with this type of movement and um, how much they believed in me and just the community and the wonderful women and men that that went to this studio. And it was just, and this is the place I actually went to school as well. At the same time, the instructor there had always, the head teacher instructor had always said, you should definitely take, you should definitely do this program. I think you'd be really, do really well at this because you catch on really quickly. You, um, you know, just seem to really enjoy it. You connect well, blah, blah, you know, all of those things. But my husband at the time was not supportive of that because when he was home, he wanted me to be with him and not in school. So I didn't do it then. But, um, but while I was in treatment, once the thing that helped me was I would take the people like the other, um, patients and we would do Pilates together. I would, I would do mat Pilates with them. I mean, I wasn't an instructor at this point, but I'm like, Pilates is the best thing. I love this type of movement. And we had like a yoga person that would come in, but then I would show them, you know, the stomach series and just all different types of Pilates moves and walk them through the whole thing. And we would just, I would do it all. I mean, that's really what my, my hobby was in treatment. That's what kind of got me by. Was pretending I was a Pilates you instructor. Were a Pilates. Yeah. No, you were a Pilates instructor. You weren't pretending. I guess, huh? Yeah. 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 I, 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 I would bet money that there are pe- people who are in that program with you, who are, who, for whom that was a major factor in their recovery, and you know, a, possibly has sparked a lifelong love of movement and Pilates for them, like. You know, I mean, I've heard a lot of stories of people of how they found Pilates and often it's at a low point where people find Pilates and uh, I can only um, imagine that that must have been hugely, you know, profound for people to have that movement and that that shared experience and something positive uh, in that, you know, within that um, rehab 
journey. So you were definitely teaching yeah. all of this. Yeah, it was it. I would even because I worked in an office then too, and so I obviously wasn't. I was on leave, but I remember being on my lunch breaks at at work and not even in school yet or an instructor or technically, you know, certified instructor, I would go into the lunchroom and help people with like, if they're having like really tight shoulders and I'd show them like, make sure you're breathing and just open your arms and just kind of close and open circle your wrists just to get all the tension out, you know, typing all day. And, um, I would have them remind themselves to stand up and kind of just move and walk around, make sure you set a timer to go for a walk around the office and, just all of that stuff. I was just always somebody to, to, I was always somebody that encouraged people to, to listen, to, to listen to their body and to, to move and not be so stagnant because I, I just know how much of an impact it's made on me. And just those little time, like, even if it's 30 seconds, I'd tell them, I don't care if it's 20 seconds. I don't care what you do. Just do something. Once you start thinking about it and once you, you bring awareness and that, and, and that, and you start moving your body and your body starts to feel it, you're going to remember and you're going to want to do more. It's just building it up. That's the thing. It's, it's, uh, I'm not sure if I want to use the word addiction, but I I can't think of a better one. It's a kind of a positive addiction. Absolutely. And I've had bad, um, addictions to to exercise. I mean, I used to do like the elliptical for an hour. <laughs> an hour. Mm-hmm. The thought of even being on an elliptical for 10 minutes right now makes me want to like go crazy. Like I can do a cycle. I like the cycle, but an elliptical, I remember I would get magazines and I would just camp out and just literally, I mean, and go for an hour. And that wasn't healthy either. Um, so I, it, it, it's addiction in all different ways. Right, addiction to, yeah. and I guess I, 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 I understood. I believe that this is this is what you meant, but I just want to um, jump in there and say that I don't think there's anything wrong with being on an elliptical for an hour, and that that's necessarily addictive or bad. It's like it's the it's you know it's what we kind of said before. Like if it's if you're thinking about it all the time, if you're doing it compulsively, if it's affecting other areas of your life, if you're feeling like it's kind of a punishment for something you ate or or whatever, it's like, yeah, that's when it can be a negative. But just like, just if you love the elliptical and you love spending an hour on the elliptical, sure. go for it. Yeah. Going. And, but that wasn't it. Like if I didn't get my elliptical workout and my workout, so I would do the elliptical and then I'd do weights or do, I would do a Pilates class, do the elliptical at my, at the gym. But if I didn't do that cardio, I would think about it or I would like cancel plans and make sure, oh, I can't do this until I do this. So, it, uh-huh. and it, I would be late to things or I would just, I would, I wouldn't do take, I, I wouldn't commit to anything until I had that, that workout done. Huh. So. so you really have to uh, be mindful of that sort of compulsive aspect of your personality. Yes, very much. Yeah, even, even with regards to exercise, I imagine it might be the same with food. Yes, absolutely. And I, hmm. I don't know if you've ever noticed, if you've known many people that have been in recovery um, from alcohol no, no, or anything. Not, okay. Not that I'm aware so, of. yeah. So maybe you'll be a little more aware now is it, we, uh, it, well, for me personally, and a lot of people I've known, sugar is a huge, huh. huge thing, especially when you get off heroin, you, I mean, I was just sucking on Tootsie rolls. I mean, Tootsie pops all the time because you needed some sort of something to do with your mouth, which sounds 
kind of weird and gross, but but it's just you need something that's going to spike your your dopamine and give you some instant yeah. pleasure, right? Um, as it, because and it kind of this is a good like um, veer veer off point too the receptors and dopamine. So when we are all born with a certain amount of receptors, right? And when you start using alcohol or drugs, you build up these these extra receptors yeah. in your in your body. And when you stop using, you don't get rid of those receptors. They're just not full. And so that's what is is that, you, that's you what have- makes that kind of lower effect and the feeling that's like you can't really experience, you know, a great degree of pleasure in anything because basically you're never maxing out those opioid receptors. Exactly. Yeah. And it takes up yeah. to two years, two years of mm. being sober and clean to really balance yourself out again. And yeah. it's a long journey. So, so, all right. So tell me, all right. So you are in the rehab facility, you're teaching Pilates and you by golly, you are a Pilates instructor. I mean, Joseph Pilates was never certified to teach Pilates. <laughs> true. <you know. laughs> That's true. Um, uh, so he just started teaching. Uh, Romana as well, actually, was never certified. Uh, she went off and lived in South America somewhere, and then after Joseph's death, they they called her back to become the head of the order. But um pretty sure she was never certified. Um, if you're listening and I'm wrong, please let me know. Um <laughs> Comment uh, below. Right. And so, you're, so you're teaching in you're teaching the rehab facility. Then you get out of rehab. What happens then? Um, I started movement again. I went back to the studio, of course, and did my. I I had the monthly uh, membership, so I would go pretty much every day. Um, and uh, eventually, I started drinking again. Um, I was still married, and um. I so you got clean, but you didn't change your support network and your, your yeah. Your I didn't go into outpatient, so I yeah. I went into treatment, got out when my husband at the time was home, and I didn't do any outpatient treatment, which was something I should have done to keep me accountable. Because you need you need something, you need to stay busy. That's like the number one thing with with um, recovery is keeping yourself busy. Busy too much downtime is not good because then. Oh. You're you're like oh well you can get your you you talk yourself into saying oh this is okay one drink's not gonna hurt right I'll be okay mm-hmm. I'm not really addicted I think it was just this and making excuses and then you just talk yourself into it but if you're yeah. if you are in a um, an outpatient treatment you are accountable you have to go to AA you have to get slips to sign and you have three hours a week I mean three three day three three hour sessions a week. I mean, that's a long wow. time. Yeah. But I didn't do that. And I ended up drinking and then relapsed again three months later. And again, my hus- my husband at the time left and it just continued to get worse and worse and worse to um, where I tried to quit my job. I was really, I drank, you know, a few bottles of wine and I called my boss. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm leaving. I can't come in. And, you know, just I lost it. And she, she knew I had a problem and she's like, no, you're not, you're going, I'm not going to let you quit. And, um, she knew I had a problem and I was very lucky that I had people that understand the disease and, um, long story. I mean, long, even longer story short, I eventually ended up going back into, um, uh, instead of going back into treatment, I went into detox 
detoxed off the alcohol again. And when I got out, I went to outpatient treatment. Mm-hmm. And that was about seven months, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Crazy. I mean, that's a lot of your time. And then on the and days that you're- you stand up and say, I'm Rebecca and I'm an alcoholic. And everyone says, hi, Rebecca. Yeah. Yep. Just like and I've seen in the movies. Exactly. And I- it was the best thing I ever did. It was the hardest thing I ever did. And because not only on those day, on the days that you're not going, you have to do a certain amount of, you know, you have to go to a certain amount of AA class, you know, AA and continue that that support system and talk about your story or just listen to other people's stories. It's about keeping busy and being with people that you can relate to and um, just keep you accountable. And, and people who are going to support you in that. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 what, and what about Pilates? Pilates movement, just the fact of um, talking about those receptors and dopamine and not being able to feel any sense of joy, moving my body and moving my body in a way that you can on a reformer or in the Cadillac tower, whatever it may be, mat Pilates, and being with women and men who enjoy it just as much as you and um, everybody always knowing, you know, knowing your name and being excited to see you and your, cause you always, usually when you go, you go to like the same times, you know, yeah. each day. Yeah. Right. And then usually it's the same group of people for the most part. So you re- yeah. you build these relationships with the people and in the studios. Class and- Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's wonderful. I'd go early and chat, talk to the instructors. I was always like, I always looked up to them. Like I always thought of them as like, oh, they're so lucky. I, I wish I could be them and do what they do and and work with people and help people move their bodies and help people make them, you know, people feel good. And um, I, it was always something I aspired to do. And then after I got, went into do treatment or outpatient and divorced my ex-husband. Um, and I met my current husband, the same thing. He's the one. Sounds like that was a really important move for you. Oh, I would not be here right now. Absolutely. 100% not. I would not be here if it wasn't for me leaving my ex-husband. I, I mean, I met him and I was, I was with him on and off for 16 years. Like he was my I thought like the love of my life. I met him when I was 18 and I was obsessed with him. So that's why I would follow him and, oh, okay, I'll try these drugs just so I can be with you. Right. And I was obsessed with him. And when I got to this, something switched when I got sober thinking, what, what am I doing? Like, this is, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And, um, I just, I'm, you know, I'm a very, I, I've, I find myself to be pretty intuitive. And I, when I met my ex-husband, uh, when I met my future husband, um, for something was pulling me to him, like, this isn't, this is, this is the next chapter of my right. life. Right. And he's been sober. He's, he's been sober 10 days less than me. Huh. So, yeah. So I win him on that one. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, anyways, no, he, but we've been, uh, he has been an inspiration. He's been so supportive and pushes me to, to step outside of my comfort zone. And his family's amazing. I'm so grateful to his Is family. Is for anniversary gifts? No, no. 
and they're so supportive and my family's been supportive. It's just, I, 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 they are just, I'm very blessed. I'm blessed. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful where I am now. And I, during school, when I, when I finally got started my certification, there was a point during the anatomy, right? Because the anatomy and, you know, certifications. uh, Yes. I was like, I can't do this. How am I supposed to remember oranges and oranges and, and insertions? And they gave us like these, the, you know, the coloring books of yes. filling in. Yes. How overwhelming is that? Like, I don't think that helps, especially when there's like 50 different little teeny muscles <laughs> that you're supposed to be yeah. coloring in. Yeah. And it was so overwhelming. And I, my, my mother-in-law is a, P, a, P, a retired PA for an oncologist she worked in a hospital, a local hospital, and she um, she was like, everybody goes through that. You know, this is this is normal. You just have to keep pushing through, and you can do this, and you can do this. And I I did it because I had I I had I knew that if they believed in me, then I should believe in myself. And um, and ever since I've done. I've completed that certification is just nothing but good things continue to happen. I mean, I do it full time now. I don't work in an office, which I dreaded that cubicle. Oh, I mean, sitting at a desk all day was the worst and let alone in banking in banking. I mean, Oh my gosh, nothing against bankers. But for me, this, this hyperactive person who just can't sit still uh, for eight hours a day, it's, it's not, the place for me, but sounds like when you, you know, when you had that, you know, you said, I think something kind of clicked in you and you realized like, Oh, like I I need to change my, my context, you know, basically when you decided to leave your ex-husband and, and, you know, were drawn into this new life with your, your now husband. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, it sounds like around about the same time you were doing this certification and, um, you know, making Pilates, you know, the centerpiece of your professional life yeah. and, and surrounding yourself with basically a whole new support network, um, in, in your husband, in your ex, you know, extended kind of, um, in-law family mm-hmm. and also in your kind of Pilates family that of, of kind of positive people that, um, were kind of cheering you on to, you know, to move forwards and to, to not, Back and also your AA meetings, obviously. Yeah. Um. And so basically, uh, you that whole that whole season of your life was characterized by you essentially like trading up your your support network. Yeah, and and believing that I was good enough. Huh. I never, like, I never had the support from my ex husband to to do. He didn't think I should do it. Like, you don't want to do that. No. Why? Why would you want to do that? You know, and whereas my husband now helped and and not saying that like I needed a husband to do that. That's I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way either. It's just having that support on with a a spouse or a partner, whoever, husband, whatever, a friend, a family member, whatever, whoever it may be, having somebody just saying, You can do this, you can do this. It's not gonna be easy, but you can do this. You're good enough. And and I never felt that way. I never felt like I was smart enough because it's it's definitely harder for me 
to get things. Like the f- the first part of this program, <laughs> the psychosocial factors and all of that whole person framework, I get that. I connect with people. I love working with people. I love hearing people's stories and listening and making people feel comfortable because I know I've been in too many places, gone into too many studios or too many places where you don't feel comfortable walking in. An instructor may make you feel very uncomfortable, like you shouldn't be here or it's very clicky. And I am not like that at all. I want everybody to feel comfortable when they come into my studio or um, feel comfortable that they can, they don't have to worry about the way they move or where they look or because that's not what it's about. It's about the inside and and just doing something that makes you feel good and f- makes you feel happy and supported. So for you, Pilates has been powerful both in just the, the pure physical joy and practice that you've, you've you've experienced, and also you know equally in the the network of people, that the connections you've surrounded yourself with, and it's uh, and that has sounds like that has become your kind of a key driver for you that now you want to, you know, that's, that's part of your uh, ethos that you want to, you know, give that, you know, pay it forward to others of that, that, you know, that experience that you had where you um, had a real supportive, you know, group of um, classmates in your, you know, when you were a, a, a participant in Pilates and also teach your teachers and, that that helped you, <clears throat> I guess, transcend or move past, or maybe not move past, but I guess overcome or navigate that kind of imposter syndrome and, you know, low self-confidence and anxiety and, and whatever. And I'm sure it didn't eliminate any of it, but it's, it's helped you to, by the sounds of things, to really, you know, thrive despite having having those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a, it's a daily thing. I, some days I feel like I'm doing, like I'm amazing and I'm doing the right thing. And I'm did a wonderful day of like, you know, work of classes and programming and whatever it may be. And then another day I'll wake up and I'm just like, and then that's, but, and then I have to remind myself that everybody goes through that. It's not just me, but, and that's why I love this podcast because so many people, everybody goes through the same stuff. It's just, it's being yeah. talked about. And that's what's so wonderful about this platform and so wonderful about you and what you've created. It's just, this is the best thing I've ever done. I don't want to cry. I keep saying that. But this this whole program, <laughs> I can't even say, I mean... Sorry, I'm probably like the first person to cry in your podcast, but this has been. I think you might be. Congratulations! <laughs> I'm, Do I'm, I get an I'm, award? I seriously mean that. I'm I'm grateful. Please continue. Um, but just what the instructors and um, your the the way you teach, the way you the way they that um. Everything is set up in this program. I was very, I was really nervous about the whole Zoom and how how that would work and how I would be able to connect and how um, how much how much 
I, I would really be able to learn through this program, but I decided to do it. I've heard a, I heard a lot of great things about it. And the connections I've made, the group of girls that I work with and everybody in the program is like life-changing. Like I, I know that I'm going to have lifelong friends and I'm going to keep in touch with all of you. And um, it's just, you have, it's just such, I, I just wish everybody knew how powerful this is. And you can be somebody who's the biggest in your in your in the Pilates field and know the most supposedly right, but anybody, everybody, somebody is you're going to get something out of this. Nobody's perfect, and um, and you make everybody feel safe. You make people feel comfortable to to like want to ask questions. I was always nervous and scared when I was in school before, like talking about the body and the anatomy stuff was so just foreign for me. And I was, and I just never spoke up and asked questions. I never really participated in that way because I was embarrassed, right? Like, oh my gosh, she doesn't know this. She's not getting this right away. And the fact that I feel comfortable to do that and everybody, there's no judgment, right? There's no judgment in this program. And sometimes I think in a lot of certifications or any type of schooling, it's there is judgment. There's just, I think maybe it's insecurities of other people or um, of, or, or just just not making people feel like it's a it's a safe platform. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. yeah thank you. And I'd never really considered that uh, before, like in regards to, I mean, obviously, you know, we have people who have concerns about the online platform and, you know, think, oh, you know, I'm, I learn better in person or, or whatever. But uh, for you in particular, you know, where connection was like such a deep and integral part of why you do Pilates and why you teach Pilates, you know, that that must have been a really big, yeah, you know, really big thing. Oh, I, I can't, my husband, I talked to him about it for months. I don't know if I should do it. Should I do it? I'm not sure. I mean, it, it's nothing. I mean, the money aside, like that had nothing to do with it. I just didn't know. I didn't want to fail, right? I didn't want to start this program and say down the line and tell everybody I couldn't do it. I didn't do it. It just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't focus enough to, to stay connected to the program, but. And what, what, what gave you the confidence or what, you know, what tipped the balance for you and, you know, and, and gave you that confidence to enroll in the end? Well, I think, um, in the beginning you have, uh, you talk to somebody, you always have a, you, when you, you connect and say you're interested in the program. Somebody calls you and talks to you. And I think that was probably the starting point of like, okay, maybe I can do this. Um, I just reached out to say I'm interested in the program. And then somebody called me from breathe and chatted with me. And, and I think from there I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. And she made it very clear, like, uh, you know, you can try it. If it's not something that's going to work for you, then it doesn't work for you. But just you never know. Right. And my husband was so encouraging. And, um, I just back to that intuitive, intuitiveness on my side, I, I had a feeling this is where I was supposed to be. And I, it is where I'm supposed to be. And, and I always have a f this thing of like looking in the future. And I think to my, like the, I have these little thoughts of what am I going to do when I'm done with this program? 
Like, how am I going to, with Breathe not in my life every day? Because you are. I mean, the program is in my life every day, always on my mind. I lay in bed at night and I'm like, huh, obliques, internal, external, da, 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 da. Like, it is just always on my mind. Uh. Um, I mean, that's so, that's so wonderful to hear. And, you know, part, I mean, that's, I think that's partly because actually literally you are doing something in the program most days of the week. Yeah. Um, and partly also because, you know, when you're learning something that excites you and stimulates you and stretches you mentally, you know, like getting really clear on the freaking actions of internal and external oblique, because 99% of people get that wrong or just don't don't you know don't understand yeah. it at all and that's not a that's not a uh that's not to diss anybody who doesn't isn't clear on the action of the obliques they're quite complex um and it's i didn't not understand taught well. them. Yeah, you get i didn't understand them for the first decade of being a yeah. instructor um but yeah so when you're learning stuff like that like it i think it it has to consume you you know it, you have to sort of like dream about it and you know, yeah. Um, wake up in the middle of the night, going, "Oh, of course, the anterior fibers of external oblique." <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> and you're like, "Ah, dreaming about them." But I have yeah. to say, though, in my first certification, I wasn't always gung ho about it. I was always sometimes I would dread it because mm -hmm. I was I, especially with the anatomy part, I would be very stressed about it. But I, that's so different with this, and I think the online platform has actually been a bonus because it helps you to just bring it in whenever you want. Like I could be cooking dinner and then I can come in and be like, okay, I'm going to do this on school right now and then put it aside and then go do walk my dogs or do, do whatever. Right. And so it's always there for me. I always have this space to go into and to go, to get at it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then of course the study groups and all of the, I mean, just the, it's brilliant, brilliant. I mean, I'm not like just saying that just to like boost your ego or anything, but it's really a brilliant program and with brilliant instructors. I remember, I have to mention this too. So during the pandemic, I did one of Adam's programs on his on the this, side. This is Adam McAtee. Yes, yes. And my brain at the time, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And so when I was done with the, the, the program, the, his little hour long, I, you know, I paid a fee to, to, to do his little, I, I don't remember exactly what it was on, but I think it was on external cueing in that part. My brain wasn't there yet. Like I didn't get it. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Like I know that internal cueing has helped me so much and I just didn't connect with it. And now I look back and I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have got it then as much as I do now. Because Adam is so wonderful and and was he's so good. I mean, Heath, Adam, everybody, just the instructors that you have found and the people that you have working on this program are just so they're they're very approachable. That's the best word. Approachable, they make you feel comfortable. And everyone has their has their way of teaching. And it, and it's all different and it's, it's, it's all really insightful and helpful and helps in every way possible. And, and I, I, I do want to, I, I wish I would have continued on with Adam and his little, 
and his little courses that he did because I feel like I would be even that much farther, but I just didn't get it at the time. And I, I just wasn't often, ready. A lot of these things just take time to percolate and sort of drip through your brain. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's not to do with anything apart from, you just need time to process it, I think. Yeah. Um, a lot of times. Um, uh, so for you, like, have I understood correctly that with, you know, with Pilates and and how it's really helped you? I mean, there's been a number of levels. You know, one of there's one of them is having a routine and keeping busy. One of them is just the physical practice itself and the joy and the you know the the kind of way that takes you out of your head and stuff like that. Uh, and then thirdly, there's the community and the, the support network that you've created and the friends, friendships that have grown out of that. And so it's kind of not the case, and I'm, I'm asking if this is correct, mm-hmm. um, it's not the case that, you know, when you feel like a drink, you go do Pilates and that kind of gets rid of the urge. It's more the case that being involved in a positive community, that you're doing something healthy for yourself and helping other people at the same time, there are people that support you, kind of like reduces the the opportunity or you basically don't have as many of those urges or you don't, you know, you're, you're in a more positive mind frame. So you don't feel the need to escape yeah. as much. Is that true? Yeah. It helps anxiety. It helps my mood. Just having Pilates or, and, and, and just even breath work with Pilates, you know, just diaphragm, diaphragmic, diaphragm, diaphragm breathing right? That even just helps calm me down. Or if I'm feeling like I can't sleep at night, I use that. Or if I feel like I have anxiety or if I, sometimes I'll tell my husband, I have to go into my studio because we have, I have a studio in my home. Like I have to go in the studio and move. I, I just have to, I'm just not feeling, huh. I'm feeling very irritable and anxious. And huh. and I do, and he gets it. He knows so that's my medicine. You do use it to kind of like, I guess, self, self-soothe or self-medicate yes. as well. Absolutely. And I don't really have cravings for alcohol anymore. I'm at this point, and I'm not saying that I ever, that I won't ever have them again. I'm at a point in my sobriety where I, I know how to manage it myself and I'm doing all the things that I need to do to keep myself sober. Um, but, um, but yeah, anxiety, depression, all of that stuff can help, can, can kick Mm -hmm. you into a relapse. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. being able to manage that is so so Pilates for you has both kind of a, an acute and also a, a preventative effect. So I sort of like, I'm thinking, I'm, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm thinking of it like the asthma inhaler. So you have your preventer mm-hmm. that you take, you know, it doesn't actually stop it. If you're in the middle of an acute episode, it won't help you at all. But it, if you have it, the preventer regularly, you have fewer acute episodes. Yeah. And then there's the reliever, which you take, okay, when you can't breathe, you know, take this and that will alleviate the symptoms to a certain extent. And so you kind of use Pilates both as a preventer and a reliever, like you, the community and the general mental and physical well-being that come from a regular Pilates practice, uh, and also I think for you possibly the sense of purpose and value that you get from helping others, um, you know, gives you know pumps up your self-esteem, makes you feel happier and less stressed and anxious and less in your head and and less there's you know there's, there's there are more people cheering you on and you know, encouraging you to live your life in a positive way. Uh, and so that's kind of the preventer side. And then there's also, it's like, well, when you're lying in bed, kind of stressing out about bullshit that's not real, you can just go and 
do a few roll downs on the Cadillac and you <laughs> feel better. Yes, absolutely. Or do some mermaids and or just something. Yeah. Um, it's I, and I think the perfect thing is Pilates has brought me out of my shell, has made me has brought me to a point where I've wanted to grow, huh. and continue to grow and build huh. my growth and not just stay stagnant. Right. Yeah, I missed that because, and and that is you know like you, I see that now that you say now that you mention it because, you know from the age of thirteen to twenty seven you were basically. Stuck in a time capsule of being a thirteen-year-old, yeah. Uh, and then at you know once you got out of that outpatient rehab, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and were genuinely clean, yeah. That uh, you you know you started immediately on a growth trajectory. You did the Pilates instructor training. You changed your relationship. You know all of these things, but you were struggling with that. Like you were felt intimidated by the anatomy, and you felt. You know, like you, you, you really needed a lot of help from others. You know, the cheering on of your mother-in-law, for example, and your husband, whatever, to encourage you. You know, pump you up enough to to keep you moving forward with that. Whereas now, it feels like in this current season, you have actually got to the point where you relish the challenge and the excitement of learning new things, and you, you, you know, you 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 are leaning into that, and it's not something that you feel intimidated by. It's something you feel excited and stimulated by. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, All of that's correct. I feel confident enough to be able to get in front of a bunch of people in a class and instruct them. Like in the beginning, I mean, everybody goes through this. Like I still get nervous every time I instruct a class. I still do. But it's just once you get started and get going, then it's like everything. I become a completely different person. It's just, I'm just like in this mode of just keeping people moving and and I have this confidence about myself which is and I still even tell my husband I'm like you don't get it you you you've never seen me in a class like you I'm totally different than what you would expect like I'm definitely I, I'm not I am in charge and I do it and it's fun and I love seeing people I just love watching people move and I love people having those moments of like oh Oh my gosh, you know, I felt, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I'm doing this and and just having those little wins. And it's fun because I've been through it too. Everybody goes through it. And so just encouraging and helping people to want to grow themselves and to do better for themselves and encourage them to keep doing it and to not stop. Because one little thing, one little thing in a class for somebody, um, that makes them feel uncomfortable is probably going to keep them away. And so yeah. it's our job to, to make everybody feel comfortable no matter what and to feel wanted and, 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 and to, to feel like they're meant that they should be there and that we want them there. And no matter who you are, everybody's welcome. Yeah. And that you see them and that you're glad that you see them. Yeah. Because that's really that's really it's all about. It's connections and people, yeah. and that's what this that's what makes the world go round is the relationships in your life and with your family, your friends, and the people you work with or the people you you teach Pilates to, who, whoever it may be. Just being authentic and being true to who you are and bringing that out in somebody else is all that. That's all that we can do. Make people feel 
good in their own skin, no matter what. And Just about everyone I've ever talked to about how they found Pilates mm-hmm. has told me some version of a story where they went into a Pilates class and had some kind of life-affirming experience mm-hmm. that they, you know, basically were inspired by, you know, the person teaching that class, whether it was a sort of like, I want to be like you moment or whether it was just like, wow, I can't believe how good I feel when I, when I move this way and when I connect with these people this way. And so I think as Pilates instructors, you know, those of us, you know, those of you listening to this show right now, like you are that inspiring person. Like you, you don't know know, which of your class participants are, you know, having a life changing experience, like right now, as you teach this class that, you know, in five years, they're going to be (laughs) telling someone about how, you know, everything in their life changed that one time they walked into your class and, you know, that changed the course of their life for, for in a positive way. So I think that's such a profound uh, and powerful thing that we have as Pilates instructors that we, you know, and often unknowingly, I think, because, you know, a lot of times those people don't necessarily walk up to you and go, oh, you've changed my life, but they just go off and have a better life and then yeah. maybe they tell their friends or whatever. But, um, yeah, so you like if you're listening to this, I, it's almost certain that you have people have had people in your class who've had this experience because like that's how we all found Pilates, right? Like we had that experience, and so it has to come from somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, I think that is so powerful. And um, if you're listening to this and you've got a Pilates instructor origin story that was like, oh, I walked into this class and my life changed. Like, have you reached out to that instructor and let them know? You know, even just a DM on social media or an email or whatever. Um, just like, just so you know, I was in your class in 2003 and, you know, you probably don't remember me, but since then my life's changed. So thank Yeah. You. And how wonderful would that feel being an instructor, yeah. getting that message? Like yeah. you've done your job, right? Yeah. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. And not to, yeah. real quick, real, um, the lady who encouraged me to do it, she wasn't the instructor at the school I went to anymore. But when I was done with my certification, I found her. She had opened a studio and she, I was green, never worked. And she brought me in and mentored me. And I worked with her until the pandemic when the studio had to close. So I'm so grateful to her name's Christine Fossmeyer. She was amazing impact on my life. And she's the reason why I started. So. I'm going to shout out to Christine Fossmeyer. She lives in Mexico now. So, <laughs> but um, she was amazing. She's the person that encouraged me to do it. So, shout out to Christine. You, you're doing amazing work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very grateful for everything. I mean, I'm grateful for the mistakes I've made, the, the journey that I've been on. I would not be who I am now um, without it. So, I'd have no regrets. Yeah. And if you're out there, you know, listening to this and if you're sort of metaphorically at a point in your life where the SWAT team are hitting down the door and <laughs> yeah. whatever, it's like, know that things can get a lot better. And they you can, can. You can find true meaning and purpose and, and it feels, seems to me like you've found almost, almost peace. Um, yeah. It's, it's one thing. I think for anybody out there that's struggling, find one thing that brings you joy and do more of it. 
Yeah. What a great place to end. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Raf. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This has been really inspirational for me. Thank you. Me too. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.